Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Truly, we need a kingdom perspective. We need to be individuals that are not sidetracked by the things of this world, but remain steadfast, focus upon unmoving from the promises of God and realize ultimately those promises are going to be best experienced in God's presence in his kingdom. So are you making decisions based upon a kingdom reality? Are you living with the mindset that this day is coming to an end? This time we have on this planet will be over soon perhaps much sooner than many of us may think in regard to our own lives. And then what? Have we lived with a proper kingdom preparation? I think in many ways what we're going to learn tonight from the Apostle Paul as he instructs Timothy are things that give us a different mindset. Thinking not according to how the world reckons things, but making decisions that are kingdom-based and kingdom-inspired. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book called 1 Timothy. And now we're ready for chapter 6. 1 Timothy and chapter 6. We begin in verse 1. And notice what initially this subject is, slavery. Now, we need to make a distinction between slavery from a worldly point of view, what takes place even today, it's hard to imagine. But we have seen an increase of people being enslaved. Today, in this modern time of great technology and such, there are more people serving and being exploited as slaves, being treated in a most barbaric way than there was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Things are not getting better. Things are getting worse. And let me say, that is a sign of the kingdom approaching. Don't believe the lies of some. And they're just that. I say that they're lies because there's not a biblical basis for them. And that is that the church is going to be triumphant that the church is going to bring a change, that we will reach dominion over this earth, and we will prepare things perfectly for the Lord's return. Not going to happen. Not mentioned in the scripture. Not prophetically true. We need to see that things are indeed getting worse, and they're going to get much, much, much worse. And therefore, if we don't have that kingdom mindset, we are going to be swept away. We are going to move away from where God wants us to be and doing the things he wants us to be doing. 
Now, in the first part of, of this passage from the epistle, the first epistle to Timothy, we see that he mentions slavery. But again, not the slavery that normally comes into our mind when we think of it. The slavery that plagued, for example, the United States of America some, some hundred and more years ago. Now, what we learn from this is that the Bible speaks of something very different. Now, what am I speaking about? In the scripture, when someone could not manage their debt, the time had come for them to pay off something, and they could not do so. One of the remedies is that one would become a servant. You can use that word slave to another individual. Sometimes the one that he owed, other times someone else would pay for him and then he would serve that person who paid off his debt. Many times it was seen as an act of love, an act of kindness. Why? Because the amount of time that one needed to serve sometimes did not fully compensate either the creditor or the one that made the payment in his behalf did not fully compensate. Normally, one did not want to take an indentured servant, a slave. It wasn't in his best interest. He made the deal thinking that he was going to get full payment. So with that in mind, we see not something that Paul's referring to here as what was cruel, barbaric, dishonoring that, that slavery was, but something somewhat different when we speak of a biblical slavery. This is one, and we know that according to the law, I'm speaking about Jewish law, that the master had to provide properly for his servant. If there was only enough food for one to eat, the servant would get it, not the family. So it was very, very different. And what Paul is saying here is this. Look with me to chapter 6 at verse 1. He says, Slaves, the ones being under the yoke. Now realize, they are under the yoke, which is a term of authority. So he's speaking to those who are under the authority of another, and we'll see who that is. It speaks about one's own master. This is a word for a ruler, a person who has control over another. And this came about not because someone was captured and made a slave, but in this context in the Bible, one became subservient to another because of the inability to pay his bills, to manage his debt. And it says here that one who is under the yoke of his own master, it says, all honor, consider worthy, meaning consider your own master, worthy of all honor, displaying it upon him. Think in this way. Now, one of the reasons for this, if you look at some commentators, is that it is training. 
We need to respond to those in authority over us so that we know how to do that in regard to the Lord's authority over us. If you cannot serve a man, you cannot serve God. This is the primary thought here. And it says why that we should behave in this way, giving authority in order that the name of God and the teaching, meaning biblically-based teaching, what the Scripture reveals, biblical doctrine, that it is not blasphemy. Now, this needs to be a primary concern of yours and mine, that we don't do anything to cause contempt to fall upon the name of God, or the doctrines. As a believer, we're supposed to be people that know what it means to be submissive, know what it means to serve another, to be a slave, because as Paul says, and that same word is used here, Paul says over and over that he is a slave of Messiah. So if we're a slave of Messiah, we should know how to be a, a servant, a good servant that pays honor and recognizes authority over another. This is what he's saying here. And no matter what one is enduring, realize it is short-lived. Now, this is not to be uncompassionate to ones who are going through such hardships. But we need to realize in comparison to eternity in the kingdom, these present days suffering are, are merely a vapor. Obviously, when you're going through them, they don't feel that way, but we need to realize they will end and we will go into eternal glory. God will be with you. He will strengthen you. He will give you the ability to overcome. And, and he also promises never to let us to be tested beyond what we can do. So we need to be confident in the Lord that he will see us through the most miserable of experiences. He's able to do that. That is part of God's miracle power. Again, not wanting at all to seem uncompassionate, uncaring, unsympathetic for those who are going through horrible things can break our heart bring us grief, bring about tears, but it is going to end. And God, here's an important truth. God has all of eternity to set things right, to, to deal, to minister to that hurt that one experienced. Look at verse 2. It says, but, and it's a word of wanting us to take a different perspective. But the ones having a believing master do not, and this is a word, do not uh, think down, don't have contempt for them, meaning this. Because we're fellow believers, we're brothers in the Lord, therefore I don't have to give you the respect as a master, as the one who has authority over me. Paul's saying here to Timothy, you instruct those who are in that situation, if they have a believing master, don't look down, don't have contempt for them, and, and just think that uh, uh, they are all brothers. He says, but rather do what? 
rather all the more so serve. Because, and then it says, because believers and also the beloved ones, and it's probably referring to the same, same individuals, because these ones who have the means to, to deal with slaves, they usually have uh, a good income, they have resources, and they're the ones who, notice what it says, who are assisting in, in good works, good deeds, good efforts, those other believers, those other ones who are blessed and beloved by God. So these are the ones who are helping other believers. These things, he says, teach and exhort, meaning encourage others to realize them and practice them in their life. So again, the primary thought here is this, submitting to authority. Don't use some relationship as brothers in the Lord to exploit or not to give the honor that you should to another. Now, again, these masters were individuals not like we think of normally when we think of a slave owner, but we're speaking about people who frequently, especially if they were believers, would step in and pay off the debt of someone. This one that was blessed by him, this one would come and serve for a period of time. And as I said, if you look at the Jewish literature, normally what one served, what they were able to do for this one, did not compensate fully for the debt that was, was paid off or incurred by this one. So submitting to authority, having a mindset even in a situation such as this, that says, I need to be humble, I need to be subservient, I need to recognize authority, and realize that these individuals, they are helping others as well. Now look at verse 3. Now, beginning in verse 3, he talks about individuals that are not teaching the truth. They are teaching an other doctrine, a doctrine that is not biblically based. And notice what he says. If someone teaches another, and the implication is a different doctrine, he says, and also does not uh, uh, approach, go near to, it literally says, healthy words. Now, the healthy words, where do they come from? He says, the healthy words with our Lord Messiah Yeshua. And he says, the, the ones who are against the, the teaching or not according to the teaching of godliness. So here you have individuals, and let me get this right, who are not teaching biblically-based doctrine. He says, these are the ones that do not approach, go near to, the healthy words which are from our Lord Messiah Yeshua, which are according to the teachings of godliness. Now, what we see here is that Paul's emphasizing a doctrine of godliness. Now, this is a word 
that speaks of behaving in a way that manifests God's character. Not only manifesting it through behavior, but also attitude and personality. Meaning this, we need to be a person who even our personality is changed by our faith, that we become different and impacted in every aspect of our life and of our being, of our very existence. So if we come across those that teach contrary to the biblical doctrine, that do not draw near to the healthy words of our Lord Messiah Yeshua, and do not teach according to the doctrines of godliness. He's saying something here. He's saying such a person, now look at verse 4. He says, such a one has been puffed up. They understand nothing, but they are ones who are not uh, uh, healthy concerning uh, contentions and warring of words. Now, what it's saying, and it's very choppy in the Greek, such people, they are puffed up, meaning they are haughty, they are prideful, they have put themselves first. What this scripture is speaking about is just the opposite of that, humbling yourself, recognizing authority, esteeming authority properly and basing things on the doctrines of godliness. But if there's one who does not behave this way, he is puffed up, he is not having proper understanding, but it's a word here for not healthy. It says here, not healthy concerning contentions and, and we can say war of words. That's what they're about. They pay way too much attention to controversy, that's what they love, and warring with words. And it says, from such, from these things come envy, blasphemy, and evil suspicions. Now, that can mean that they always think poorly of. Something happens and and we see, according to Jewish law, if something takes place, we can always see that, interpret that in a negative way. But Jewish law says to do just the opposite, to always think positive about something. If someone one says something, does something, initially. See, you don't know how they meant it, therefore, think of it in a positive way, in the best way possible. Don't put the worst understanding to it. Put the best understanding to it. In other words, always give someone the benefit of the doubt. Don't rush to some poor motivation, some wrong action that he did with intent against you. Oftentimes, things, and I've seen so many contentions happen, when the person never intended it to be this way, never thought of it, would be understood in this manner. So he's saying here simply that there are those who they, they are obsessed with contention and they enjoy these wars of words. And because of that, what happens? It's because of this that they become envious, 
blasphemous, and they always have evil suspicions. Verse 5. Here we find that they are the ones who are constantly in contention, in debating. We also hear, see here that they are an individual that are, are corrupted in the human mind, in the, man, men, in the mind of men, they find their minds corrupted. And it says that they are absent or destitute of what? Here it is, of the truth. So we find here, and notice the correlation. This is what Paul is teaching Timothy. If we don't recognize and deal properly with authority, we become rebellious. We become dishonoring towards authority. If we do that, it is going to have a very adverse effect in our life. It is going to be based upon the fact that someone is prideful. Remember that term being puffed up? And they're puffed up, and notice something else. They don't have the proper understanding. They are obsessed with contentions and, and warring with words and what this one meant with this word and, and such. It says these individuals, they are people who are envious, blasphemous, always having evil suspicion. We find that they are the ones who are constantly in debate and they have a, a mind that has been corrupted and it's speaking about a human mind that's been corrupted. They are absent from truth. And notice what it says here. They reckon. Now, this is a word for law. It's the word law, but in a verbal form, and we would understand it. They believe this to be the law, a, a doctrine, a truth. And what do they believe? They believe that, that godliness is a means of gain, meaning this, all that they do outwardly in a pious way, they believe that doing that is going to bring them prosperity. For them, this is a clear verse that points to those who are misled and who are misleading others with this concept of the prosperity gospel that they believe simply that, that piety is a means of, of becoming wealthy. And we're going to see here that, that Paul speaks to Timothy, warning about, about wealth and the love of money and the desire to, to acquire it. So he says, you know, they reckon that godliness is a means of gain. And what does he say? Look at the end of verse 5. He simply says, stay away, put distance between yourselves and such people. Now, it's interesting because this word for, for departing from, being separated from, it's the verb where we get this word for, for uh, falling away, a departure. And what it means is this, get away from that which is bad. Get away from those things that are not of God. So here it simply says, stand away from such people and such views. Verse 6.
But we find if we want to know what is great gain, he says great profit, great gain is godliness with what? Contentment. What does he mean here? He means it is a great profit for someone to be content fully with behaving in a godly way. That is what's profitable, not, not financially, but inwardly. That it brings a great, great sense of, of, of the Lord in one's life that gives this contentment. So he says, be content with godly behavior. This is what he's admonishing us. Look at verse 7. For nothing one has brought into the world. So I haven't brought anything into this world. I came in empty. And he says, clear or obvious, we could use the term self-evident, that nothing one is able to take out of. So what he says is this. Before you had any existence, you had nothing. You brought nothing into this world, and it's clear that you can take nothing of, of material wealth out of this world. So you came in empty, you're going out empty. What, what profit did you have materialistically? Nothing. No gain. Therefore, why emphasize the material? Why accumulate all of these things? Because when we deal with eternity, and that's where one goes, everyone who dies goes to eternity. Either eternity death with condemnation or eternal life with glory. Don't believe the false teachers that say, oh, when you're dead, you're dead. Only believers have eternal life. Those who don't, they just die. They just stop to, to exist. This is false. It says in the scripture, those who die without the gospel, they're going to have eternal gnashing of teeth. They're going to be weepy. They're going to know forever the punishment of the Lord. So do not think that when you die, that's the end. When you die, one goes to eternity. So he says here, you know, it's evident you brought nothing into this world and you are not able, literally, we are not able to take something outside. Verse 7. But in this different mindset of thinking about being able to profit materially forever, he says, in contrast to that, because the particle that begins this sentence shows a conflict, something in contrast. In contrast to that, he says, having, and it's a word for sustenance. We might use the Hebrew term parnasah. Having sustenance and covering, and most understand this as covering for the body. So if you have your daily food and covering, perhaps covering of clothes or a shelter to live in. He says, to, to such things, he says again, let us be contented. So let's not 
have, and so many people do, they have no peace because they're always trying to accumulate, get something, buy something. I know an individual that, that he used to work very, very hard. He worked in sales, so his income was not set. He could get bonuses and based upon commission, he would work more and more because he always had something he wanted to, to purchase. That was his motivation. And what Paul is saying here is this is not how a godly one thinks. We do good work. We're committed. We're good servants. As he says here, we give rightly the honor that's due to those in authority. And that means being a good servant, being a good employee. But he says here, let's not be obsessed with that. Let's be content with having our sustenance and a covering. And then he goes on to say, look now, if you would, to verse, verse 9. He says, but, now this is in contrast to those who are content with the, the sustenance and, and shelter. He says, to those who aren't, but rather the ones wanting to be, and here it is, wanting to be wealthy, wanting to be rich. Let me tell you. There is a growing desire among people for that. Recently, I was watching something on the internet, and it was talking about the change in marriage, what one is looking for in a spouse. And this is true for women and men equally. That is, they're looking for someone that can provide to them financial security and even beyond that wealth. This is who Paul is talking about here. Marriage is not a means of, of wealth. You've understood it incorrectly. What he says here, look again at our context, but the ones who desire to be wealthy, when you have that desire, watch out, because it is going to have a greatly adverse effect in your life. Paul says that, and there's no other way to interpret it. Look again at verse 9. But the ones desiring, wanting to be wealthy, what happens? They fall into temptation. Now, this word for temptation means they're easily seduced. They're easily manipulated. They're easily gotten to do that which someone else wants them to do. And oftentimes we know that there are individuals that uh, we all see on, on our phones. We get all these advertisements and such, and they're all scams. They are trying to take advantage. And many times people fall for them. Why? Because they believe that it's a, a get-rich way a way to benefit. And therefore, he's warning. Those who desire to be wealthy, they fall into temptation and also into a snare. And also, he says, many foolish and harmful thoughts. So this is what the scripture is saying. When I pursue wealth, this is my objective. Now, is it wrong being wealthy? No, the Bible does not say that. 
God can do great things through people who have resources, move them to bless and help. But if your motivation of what drives you, what you want to be is wealthy, there's many people who simply want to work well, be successful in their job, having a business that thrives. And because of that, they become wealthy. Nothing wrong with that. But those who said, I'm really not concerned about my business. I'm concerned about the bottom line, wealth. Does my business make me wealthy? Not if my business provides a good service. Does it help the community? Does it give me my sustenance and my covering? Am I content with that? No, I want much, much more. This is who he's speaking about here. And such people, it says here, they will fall into temptation. They will find themselves in a snare. And the implication is an enemy's snare. And they will also, also have many, and it speaks of a variety, many different thoughts and desires that are foolish and harmful. Foolish you're going to be deceived by the enemy. And the end, it's going to be harmful for you. Look at the next part of verse 9. He says, which sinks or plummets men into, we have the word ruin and destruction. Now, who's the source of this ruin and this destruction? It's the enemy. He loves to bring adversity. That's what he's about. That's his character. What's God's character? God's character is to bless. God loves. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He wants to help. He wants to bring goodness into your life. And what is that? It is simply having life here and utilizing it for the glory of God. With that is great joy and contentment. But those who, those who want the things of this world, and a lot of them, they are going to have desires that are foolish and, notice what he says, that are harmful. And because of that, they are going to be sunk into, this is what it literally says, sunk into what we find, the, the ruin and destruction. That's the outcome when we think incorrectly about what we should be doing in this world when we do not have a godly, a kingdom perspective. Last verse, very well-known verse. It says here, for the root of all evil is the love of money. Now, what a verse. The root what nourishes, what provides for all evil, that root of all evil is the love of money. Again, not just having it, but loving money. And that love of money, if you love someone, you want to spend time with that person, you want to be around that person, and there's many people, they just love to be around money or what money can, can give them, what they can buy with it. And therefore, he says, watch out because it's the root of all evils. And themselves, what happens? Well, when you are loving money, it is going to, notice what he says, it is going to pierce you. 
it is going to place within you. It is going to place like a needle goes into you. It is going to pierce you with what? Many sorrows. Now, here's what we need to see. People think money is going to bring them happiness. It does not. If you are pursuing money, it is going to be a source of sorrow. But when you per, per, pursue godliness, it is going to be a pursuit of joy. You're going to receive from that pursuit of godliness joy. Now, the question it comes down to is simply this. Are we going to believe Paul? Are we going to take these words literally as words, remember what he says early on in the text, as healthy words from our Lord, Messiah Yeshua? That's what Paul gave us in this passage of Scripture, healthy words that's going to produce a great gain in our life. That gain is not in possessions, but it's in contentment and joy. It is going to bring us into intimacy with God. And all of that gives us, and here's what I'll close with, all of that gives us a foretaste of the kingdom. So it's when I pursue godliness with contentment saying, what I am satisfied with is recognizing God's authority in my life, meaning this, I submit to his will, I do his work, and in doing that, it expresses godliness. And when this satisfies you, you are going to be, and here's the key, you are going to be spiritually strong. What do we learn here? When we are thinking incorrectly, when we are, are all obsessed with, with controversy and, and parsing of words and fighting and arguing and having suspicion, everything's bad, evil, against me, such, when we have that, it all takes away the joy. And not only does it take away the joy and the contentment, what does it do? It gives us a wrong way of thinking. It gives us an ungodly perspective. And it makes us easily manipulated by the enemy so that we have desires which are foolish and which will harm us. We will easily be moved by temptation into the battleground of the enemy where we will suffer defeat. Now, this is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to share because we don't want defeat. We don't want to behave foolishly. We don't want to have destructive things in our life, but rather we want to grow spiritually strong. So ask yourself a very important question, and that is this. What are you going to do with these first 10 verses of, of 1 Timothy chapter 6? I believe that from what we've studied thus far in, in 1 Timothy, these 10 verses are foundational if we want to live a life that God wants us to live. So I hope this week that you just don't end this study now, but that you go back, you read these 10 verses, you, you pray through them, you ask, God, how can I apply this truth to my life? Because in these verses, there is great wisdom 
for living a God-pleasing life that's going to have a testimony that God sees as praiseworthy. Well, I'll end with that until next week. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.